We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Levi, the fourth piece in Hilchus Eidos. This is Parak Chaf Halacha Beis. And in this piece, Rab Chaim makes a key distinction between the two major forms of criminal punishment in the Torah, the death penalty and lashes. And Rab Chaim explains that there's a key distinction between the two. Now, the case in the Rambam is talking about Edim Zomimin, false witnesses. And the Halacha is that false witnesses get the punishment that they tried to falsely inflict on this person. Sin, but only before the punishment's been done. So after the court finalized the judgment based on this false testimony, before the judgment's actually been executed, if they turn out to be false witnesses at that point, they get punished. But once the person's already been killed, they do not get the punishment, the death penalty, if they turn out to be false witnesses. So it's counterintuitive. Only before the person's been killed do they get punished with the death penalty, not afterwards. So the Rambam writes in if the victim was killed and then it turned out that they were false witnesses, so they do not get killed. But if he got lashes based on their false testimony and then it turned out that they were Adim Zomimin, they do get the punishment of lashes. So the Rambam makes a distinction that this rule only applies to death penalty cases, not lashes. There, the false witnesses get the lashes even if the person already got it incorrectly. So the Raivid disagrees with the Rambam about this, and the Kesef Mishnah explains that according to the Raivid, the lashes, Malkus, is equal to the Misa. Just like if the victim got killed, the Edim Zomimin don't get the punishment of death, so too if he got lashes, the Edim Zomimin do not get lashes. So Rab Chaim asks that the Rambam's position does seem difficult because the source for this whole halacha is the Torah says kasher zomam lasos, like they wanted to do, not kasher asa, not as they actually did. So that exception that if something happened based on their testimony, they no longer get punished, seems to apply across the board, whether it's death penalty cases or whether it's malkus. In all those cases, once the punishment was given, the witnesses should not be punished in the same way. And Tosos and Babakama Davdalit also writes that when it comes to financial cases, even after the person paid incorrectly, if it turns out that the witnesses were false, they still have to pay. And that's for one of two reasons. Either because when it comes to money, there's onshin minhadin. So ordinarily, we don't apply logic in order to give someone a punishment. So let's say in this case, it's counterintuitive that if they tried to kill someone, they get killed. But if they actually killed someone, they don't get killed. That seems backwards. If when they tried to kill someone, they get killed, then certainly when they killed someone. But we don't apply logic in order to punish people. That's called ein onchen minhadin. We don't punish based on logic. But that only applies to physical punishments, not financial punishments. So that's why even after the person already had to pay, if it turns out that they're false witnesses, they still have to pay because it's logically inferred. It's a call the chomer. So that's one approach of Tosvos. Second, he says that there is no kasher asa. There is no moment when the financial payment is irrevocably done. You can always return the money to the person who had to pay. So there is no final moment when the punishment was carried out in the same way as the death penalty or the lashes, which cannot be taken back. So that's why when it comes to money, even if the person already paid, the Edim Zomamin still have to pay because that money can just be returned and it's like before the punishment was was carried out. So that's how Tosus explains why this whole concept does not apply.
apply in financial cases, but none of that applies to lashes. When it comes to lashes, we do say ain't on shin min hadin. And also once it's done, it's irrevocable. It cannot be taken back. So there should be the leniency of kasher asa when it comes to lashes, which is what the Raivid's asking. Why does the Rambam say that this whole concept only applies to the death penalty and not the lashes? And Rab Chaim adds that the Rambam himself seems to follow the second approach of Tosus and Babakama because he writes, If the person already paid based on their testimony, So the money goes back to the original owner, the person who had to pay falsely, and then the witnesses have to pay him. So the Rambam seems to be alluding to the second approach of Tosvos, that since the money can be returned, that's why there's no leniency of Kasher Asa. So if the Rambam himself understands that the reason why when it comes to financial cases, there is no Kasher Asa is because it can be returned. So that does not apply to lashes, which cannot be taken back. So why does he not apply Kasher Asa to the punishment of lashes? So that's the question on the Rambam. So to answer this, Rab Chaim explains the fundamental concept of lashes as a punishment in the Torah. And he begins by pointing out that lashes have to be done specifically in front of a court. They can't just be done anywhere. They have to be done in the context of a based din, as the Torah says, that the judge should whip him. So the punishment comes from the court. And the Rambam also in Hilch Sanhedrin, Perak Tesazayin, Halacha Beis, writes, Malkin bizman in Torah There can be the punishment of lashes nowadays in front of three judges who are ordained, who have the proper qualifications to give the punishment. So it seems like not only the judgment that this person should get Malkus has to come from the judges, but the actual Malkus, the actual punishment itself has to be carried out in front of the judges in the context of the Beistin. And Rab Chaim proves this because the halacha is that even if they just tie the person up to get ready for lashes and then he escapes, so he no longer gets the punishment even if he's captured. Based on the Pasuk that says, that the person who sinned should be embarrassed. So since this person was already embarrassed, even though he didn't get any lashes, that's sufficient and he no longer requires the punishment. So this halacha is clearly talking about when the court ties him up to prepare him for lashes. It's not talking about if some random person off the street does it. So it has to be done in front of the court. Now, once we understand that the Gemara interprets the Pasuk of which is a description of the punishment of Malkus in the Torah, because the Gemara says that that once he gets the lashes, he's like your brother for everything. So he's atoned. So that word that he's been embarrassed is a reference to the concept of lashes overall. So once we see that the Gemara understands that that word is talking about specifically lashes in front of a court, not just lashes from anyone, so we can extrapolate that all lashes in halacha have to be given in front of the court. And the Gemara in Makos Chav Gimel has a description of the lashes. One of the Dayanim is reading, one of the Dayanim is counting, the other is saying to hit him. So the Dayanim, the judges, are an integral part of giving the lashes. Again, because of this idea that the lashes have to be given in court, they're not given by some random person. 
So from all this evidence, Rab Chaim proves that the concept of lashes in halacha is not that the court decrees this person deserves lashes and then some other entity like the judges or someone else gives him the lashes, but the court itself is the one that administers the punishment of the lashes. So now based on that, says Rab Chaim, if the lashes were given outside of the court, they actually would not count as lashes. It would just be like someone hitting someone else, but it would not count as the halachic concept of the punishment of Malkus. So now this distinction can answer the question on the Rambam because when someone gets Malkus and then it turns out that the testimony was false, so they should not have gotten that Malkus, it's the equivalent of as if they got lashes outside of Bastin because since it turned out that these were false lashes, so this does not meet the criteria for having been given in Bastin. So it's like they didn't get Malkus at all. Yes, they got physical lashes, but they did not get the halachic punishment of Malkus because it's like it was done outside of a Bastin. As opposed to Misa and Mamon, death penalty and financial payment, there, even though the person did it falsely, so they didn't deserve the death penalty and they didn't deserve to have to pay, but it's not missing the very concept of Misa and Mamon as a punishment in Halacha. Even though it was done falsely, but still it was done because those things don't require being done in front of Bastin. So since they physically happened, and that certainly happened, the person was killed, the person had to pay, so that meets the criteria for Misa and Mamon having been done. And the Torah said, Kasher Asa, that once the punishment is done, the Edim Zomin don't get punished. So that's the difference between Misa and Mamon versus Malkus. Now, even though when it comes to Misa and Mamon, the punishment should not have happened, So we could say a similar logic that since this should never have happened, it was a travesty of justice, it was totally false. So you could say that doesn't meet the criteria of Misa in Bezdin because it was done incorrectly. But that's exactly what the Torah says, Kasher Asa. That's the whole point of what the Torah is saying, that even though this was a travesty of justice, it was a false Misa, it's still considered Kasher Asa. The punishment was given, so the false witness witnesses do not get punished. So that's exactly what the Torah is saying, but that only applies to Misa and Mamon, where the only thing missing is that it was given falsely. So there the Torah says, Kasher Asa, that in that case, the Edim Zomimin still do not get punished. But when it comes to Malkus, it's missing a much more fundamental element that this was not a real Malkus. Not only was it given falsely, it didn't even meet the criteria of Malkus, because Malkus requires being done in Bastin. So since the Malkus never happened, we we can't apply kasher asa to malkus. So that's why the Rambam gives a blanket exemption that kasher asa never applies to the punishment of malkus. Now, says Rab Chaim, there is another conceptual distinction between Misa and Mamon versus Malkus. When it comes to Misa and Mamon, so the way it works is that a person did a sin. So now the court decrees that he has to either pay or get the death penalty. So there's a punishment that this person has to get. As opposed to Malkus, which works differently. The court says this person deserves Malkus. So now they have the obligation to get Malkus on them and they have to take care of that punishment. But 
it's not as direct as the other punishments. And Rab Chaim brings a few pieces of evidence for this. First of all, the halacha that if they tie the person up and prepare him for Malkus and then he runs away, so he no longer gets Malkus because he already fulfilled the Nikla. But he didn't get the actual punishment. So how can he get out of the Malkus? So again, this shows that there is an obligation to get the Malkus that can be fulfilled even without getting the actual Malkus, which is different than Misa and Mamon. The second proof for this is that there is a halacha that if the court evaluated that he's not able to get the Malkus or he can't get the full 39 lashes, so they give him less than that. And according to the Rambam, even if he gets better, so now he's healthier and he could get all 39, he no longer needs to. So again, this indicates that there is a way to fulfill the obligation of Malkus without actually getting the Malkus itself. And the third piece of evidence is if the person was not healthy enough, they were sickly and they couldn't get all 39 Malkus, but the Edim Zomimin are healthy and they could. So even though the person that they tried to get punished was only going to get, let's say, 15 or 20 lashes, the Edim Zomimin end up getting all 39 when it turns out that they were false witnesses. So we see again that there is something unusual about Malkus. Even though the false witnesses only tried to get this person to get 15 or 20 lashes because that's all he could physically withstand, they still get 39. So we see that the Malkus is a less direct form of punishment than the Misa and the It's not that the court is saying this person has to get 39 lashes or 25 or 20 or whatever they can withstand. The court is saying this person deserves malchus. Now, how exactly that gets fulfilled could be done in a number of ways. Either they get the lashes, whatever they're able to withstand, or they run away or whatever it is. But there's different ways to fulfill the obligation of malchus. And that's also why even if the person was only going to get 15 or 20, the false witnesses could get all 39. Because again, there is a concept of Malchus. It's not about the 20 lashes or the 25 lashes. It's that this person deserves the punishment of Malchus. And there are different tracks within that to fulfill that obligation of punishment. So we see from all this that since there are different ways to create a Malchus punishment in Halacha, so Malchus is different than Misa and Mamon. Misa and Mamon is a punishment that this person is going to get either the death penalty or they have to pay X amount of dollars. Malchus is a more indirect form of punishment that the person deserves malchus and then it has to be figured out exactly how to implement that. So this conceptual distinction is again going to explain the Rambam's distinction about Kashar Asa between Misa and Mamon versus Malkus. When it comes to Misa and Mamon, if a person gets the punishment falsely, they still got the punishment of Misa and Mamon. So on that, the Torah said there is no Kashar Zamam. Once the actual punishment was given out, it's not that they tried to give the punishment. They did give the punishment of Misa and Mamon. So the false witnesses no longer get punished. But when it comes to Malchus, even though they did whip this person, so physically he did get the lashes, but he did not get the halacha of Malchus because again, the whole decree of the court was done falsely. So when the court said this guy deserves Malchus, it turned out not to be actual halachic Malchus. There was no status of that punishment. So when they ended up hitting him, they were just randomly giving someone lashes. And even though he physically got hit, he never got Malchus. 
So there is no kasher asa. We can't say that they gave him the malkus and now the edim zomamin don't get it. It's still kasher zomam. They're still trying to give him the punishment because he never ended up getting the malkus. So both of these conceptual distinctions lead to the same thing that according to the Rambam, the malkus has to be done properly. If it's done improperly based on false testimony, so it's not considered in front of the court. It's also not considered actual malkus because the person never got that punishment in halacha, it was all false. So even once the person gets lashes, it's still not kasher asa, it's still considered kasher zamam, and the false witnesses do get punished. As opposed to misa and mamon, which do not have those extra qualifications of malkus, so even if the person is given those punishments falsely, it's still considered misa or mamon. So once it's done, the Torah said that's considered kasher asa, and the edim zomin do not get punished. Except for mamon, because it has a separate reason. Since the money can be returned, so it can revert back to being kasher zamam. So that's the explanation of the Rambam's distinction between Misa and Mamon versus Malkus, as well as the three categories of Misa, Malkus, and Mamon, and they each function differently. But now Rab Chaim asks that this is such good logic that it seems to undermine the whole punishment of kasher zamam with regards to Malkus to begin with. Because if we're saying that false witnesses cannot give this person real malkus, so how does the Torah ever apply kasher zamam that if they try to punish him with the punishment of lashes, the witnesses get it instead? How can we ever apply that? Because in fact, they never tried to give him real malkus. They just tried to get him physically whipped, but that was not considered malkus in halacha because malkus can never be given falsely. So forget about the case when he already got the malkus. Even if he did not get the Malkus yet, still there should be no punishment of Malkus for the false witnesses because in fact they never really tried to give him Malkus. It's impossible to give someone Malkus based on false testimony. So Rab Chaim explains this based on the mission at the very beginning of Makos. If witnesses testify that a Kohen is actually the son of a divorcee and a Kohen, so he's disqualified from being a Kohen, and then it turns out that they're false witnesses. So we don't say that their punishment is that they'll be a Ben Grusha if they're a Kohen because the Torah says, Vasisem lo. Only the witnesses get punished, not their children. Now, if we disqualify the witness from being a Kohen, so that's going to affect his children and all future generations, they're also going to be disqualified from being Kohanim. So that would be unfair. Only the witness is supposed to be punished, not his children. So since we can't give them the full punishment of being a Ben Grusha, so we don't give them that punishment. Now, says Rab Chaim, forget about Vasisem Lo, that only the witness should be punished, not his children. Even without that, how could we ever punish this witness by making him a Ben Grusha when the original victim who he was trying to make a Ben Grusha was not actually going to be a Ben Grusha. It's the same thing. Anytime a witness falsely accuses a Kohen of being a Ben Grusha and a disqualified Kohen, if it's false testimony, it doesn't accomplish anything. So we might make a mistake and think that this Kohen is a Ben Grusha. The court might even rule that he's a Ben Grusha, but of course it's based on false testimony, so it doesn't change a thing in the world 
world, this person is not a Ben Grusha. His mother was validly married to his father, the Kohen. So how could we ever apply Kasher Zamam as they tried to do to the fact that they tried to make this Kohen falsely known as a Ben Grusha when nothing was going to change? Why does the Gemara say that the only reason we can't apply the Ben Grusha punishment to the Edim Zomimin is because of Asisim Lo and not because they weren't actually changing anything? Says Rab Chaim, it must be that when the Torah says Kasher Zamam, that the false witnesses get the punishment they tried to do, it doesn't mean based on their false testimony. It means had they been telling the truth. In other words, the criteria of Kasher Zamam is not whether their false testimony would have been effective. It's if they had been telling the truth, what would they have accomplished? So we give them whatever they would have accomplished had they been telling the truth. So that's why we would have thought that they can become a disqualified Kohen even though they lied. So technically they weren't going to do anything, but had they been telling the truth, they would have turned this guy into a Ben Grusha. So Kasher Zama means that they should be a Ben Grusha. So the same applies in the case of Malkus. Even though when they were lying, they were not going to give him Malkus because Malkus cannot be given falsely. But had they been telling the truth, they would have given him Malkus in this case. So Kasher Zama means that they should get Malkus as well. So that explains why in general, the Edim Zomamin do get the punishment of Malkus through Kasher Zamam, even though there can be no punishment of Malkus falsely. So Malkus has a sort of middle position. On the one hand, if the Adim Zomamin try to give this person Malkus falsely, it is included in Kashar Zamam, but it's not included in Kashar Asa because the criteria of Kashar Asa is only when they actually do the punishment and the person gets real Malkus and that can never be done falsely as Rab Chaim said because false Malkus is not considered Malkus. So Kashar Asa only applies to Misa and Mamon. But Kashar Zamam has a different criteria. We don't look at what they actually were going to accomplish, but rather we look at had they been telling the truth, what would they have accomplished? And that's the Kasher Zamam. So there's a difference in the criteria between Kasher Zamam and Kasher Asa, and that explains why Malkus is included in Kasher Zamam and not Kasher Asa. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to understand the Rambam's ruling that there is no exemption of Kasher Asa when it comes to Malkus. So now in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim turns to explain on what point does the Raivid disagree with the Rambam. So Rab Chaim wants to know when the Gemara says that Kasher Asa, once the punishment is given, the Edim Zomamin no longer get punished, what is the reason for that? Is it because there's an exemption of Kasher Asa that since the punishment was given, we no longer punish the Edim Zomamin? Or is it that since it's Kasher Asa, it's no longer considered Kasher Zomam? So we only punish the witnesses if it was Kasher Zamam as they tried to do. But once they accomplished it, so it's no longer Kasher Zamam, it's now a step above that. So they no longer get punished under the rule of Kasher Zamam. So now, says Rab Chaim, if we take the second formulation, that Kasher Asa removes the Kasher Zamam, so then they have to have the same criteria. Just like when it comes to Kasher Zamam, we evaluate 
if what the witnesses had said was true, what would have happened? So the same has to be true of Kashar Asa, because Kashar Asa is not an independent halacha. It's not saying that depending on what they accomplished, they no longer get punished, but rather it's saying that if they're no longer Kashar Zamam, meaning they accomplished it on some level, so they're removed from Kashar Zamam, then they no longer get punished. So the criteria for both evaluations has to be the same. Just like Kashar Zamam is based on what would have happened if they had said the truth, so to Kasher Asa is based on what would have happened if they had said the truth. So that's the view of the Raivid. He takes the second formulation that Kasher Asa removes the Kasher Zamam. So the evaluation for both halachas is the same. They're both based on what would have happened had these witnesses told the truth. So therefore Kasher Asa of Malkus is based on a real Malkus. So had they testified truthfully, this person would have gotten a real halachic concept of Malkus. So that's considered Kasher Asa even when it comes to Malkus. So that's why the Raivid says that the rule of Kasher Asa, once the Malkus is given, the witnesses don't get punished, applies even to Malkus because the whole criteria for all these halachas is what would have happened had they told the truth and that would have been a valid Malkus. The Rambam on the other hand takes the first formulation that Kasher Asa is an independent exemption. It's not based on Kasher Zam. There are two different halachas. One is that if they tried to punish someone, they get the same punishment. That's kasher zamam. And the criteria for that is what would have happened had they testified truthfully. And then there is another halacha tacked on to that, which is kasher asa, that if the punishment was actually given, so then the witnesses do not get punished after that. And that has its own criteria, which is what they actually accomplished. So since their testimony was in fact false testimony, the malchus that was given did not meet the criteria of halachic malchus. So they never ended up giving this person malchus. So that's why the Rambam rules that there is no exemption of kasher asa when it comes to malchus. So this explains the differing views of the Rambam and the Raivid. According to Rab Chaim, they both agree with the overall conceptual point that malchus is fundamentally different than misa and mamon. When it comes to misa and mamon, even giving the punishment falsely meets the definition of misa and mamon as opposed to Malkus, which requires in front of Bezdin. And it's also a more indirect punishment. The person is given the status of Malkus. So in the case of false witnesses, which is a false Malkus, neither of those criteria is met. So this is not considered a real Malkus. And both the Rambam and the Raivid agree with that point. They're differing over a detail, which is what is the criteria for Kasher Asa? Is it the same as Kasher Zamam, which follows what would have happened had they been truthful witnesses, or is it a different criteria? So they're arguing on a more minor point. And this is a standard approach of Rab Chaim to say that the Ravid fundamentally sees things the same as the Rambam. So according to Rab Chaim, not only the Rambam is a conceptual thinker, but the Ravid and all the other Rishonim are as well. So they basically see things similar to the Rambam, but they differ with him on one point. So that's how Rab Chaim sets up this piece as well, that basically the Rambam and the Ravid agree in most of the framework, but they differ on one point, and that leads to a difference in how they understand Kasher Asa in the case of Malkus. So that is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the debate between the Rambam and the Raivid, and to defend the ruling of the Rambam. Now, the key conceptual point that Rab Chaim develops is this distinction between Misa and Mamon versus Malkus, that Malkus is a different sort of punishment. It's not a direct punishment to give lashes, it's a punishment that this person gets Malkus, however that's going to be carried out. And that's 
that's why there are all sorts of rules that differ when it comes to malchus, like if the person is tied up and then runs away, they no longer get it because they've been embarrassed. Or if they get some of the lashes, but they're unable to handle the rest, so they're done with this punishment. So in these ways, malchus is different from other punishments because the status of malchus has already been met, so that fulfills the punishment against this person. In addition, Rab Chaim explains that there's a difference between kasher zamam and kasher asa, that kasher zamam, what the witnesses tried to do is based on what would have happened had they been truthful witnesses. And there's a debate between the Rambam and the Raivid whether that's the criteria for Kasher Asa as well. So this idea of Rab Chaim about the essence of how to define the punishment of Malkus is obviously very important. In the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, so they quote that Rabbi Ephraim Mordechai Ginsburg, who was one of the main students in the Mir Yeshiva, he later married the Mashkiach Reb Chatzko Levenstein's daughter, and he was a Rosh Shiva in the Mir in America. So he went and studied under the Brisker Rav, Rab Chaim's son, at the time when students from the yeshivas would go and study with the Brisker Rav for a year or two. And in fact, his notes of those shiurim formed the basis of some of the volumes that were later published of the Briskarov's Chidushim. So Rabbi Ephraim Mordechai Ginsburg, based on this piece in Rabbi Chaim, explained the language of the Mishnah at the beginning of Sanhedrin. It's referring to Misa, Mamon, and Malkus, but it uses a different phrase for Misa and Mamon. It calls it Dine Nefashos, the judgment of Nefashos, or Dine Mamonos, financial judgments, as opposed to Malkus, which it just calls Makos, lashes. It doesn't say Dine Makos. So Rabbi Ephraim Mordechai Ginsburg explained this distinction based on Rabbi Chaim's idea that since Misa and Mamon can be done theoretically outside of the judgment system, so the Mishnah is trying to say that only the proper Dine Nefashos and the proper Dine Mamonos, when they're done properly, so that's what the Mishnah is talking about, as opposed to Makos, where it doesn't need to specify Dine Makos, because it's understood that Every malkus that's done properly must be done according to the proper judgment. That's Rab Chaim's whole idea, that if the malkus is done improperly, then it loses its status of malkus. So it's understood, even without saying dine makos, that the malkus must be done in the proper rubric of a base din. So he told this to the briskarov, and apparently the briskarov praised this. So that's a nice addition to Rab Chaim's idea. Now they also quote from Dayan Fisher, a very good question on Rab Chaim, which is Rab Chaim says that that since the witnesses were false, so the whole Malkus was false, and it's not considered Malkus. But he asked, what happens in a case where let's say there are four witnesses that testify that this person deserves Malkus? Two of them are proper, and two of them are false. So now the person got Malkus, and they actually deserved it, and then it turns out that one of the sets of witnesses were Adim Zomamin. So presumably, according to the Rambam, they would still get the punishment of Malkus, the false witnesses, even though the person got proper Malkus. So Rab Chaim is assuming that when the witnesses turn out to be false, the whole Malkus falls off. But what happens if there was more than one set of witnesses and only one of them was false, the other ones were proper, so the person did actually get a proper Malkus? It seems like according to the Rambam, the two false witnesses would still get punished, even though according to Rab Chaim, that should be a case of Kashar Asa, even in the case of Malkus. So that's a very good thought experiment and question on Rab Chaim's approach. Now Rab Shach and Avi Ezri questions 
understands Rab Chaim's approach because he says that Rab Chaim seems to be assuming that Kasher Zamam, when the Torah punishes the false witnesses for giving false testimony, it's based on what halacha they try to create. So they try to get a judgment of Malkus or a judgment of Misa. So based on that, the Torah gives them the same judgment. But says Rav Shach, that seems too fancy a formulation of Kasher Zamam. It seems on a more basic level that it just means someone tried to harm someone else through testimony. So they deserve to get punished with what they tried to harm someone else. So according to that, it doesn't really matter if it was a proper judgment of Malkus or not. The fact is that these guys were hoping to get an innocent person to be whipped. So they deserve to have the same physical punishment given to them, regardless of whether it would have been an actual Malkus or not, but they were trying to harm someone physically. It would have been painful. So the Torah says that they get that same punishment. So according to that formulation, Rab Chaim's whole approach would fall off. Now it's worth noting in conclusion that the Kesef Mishnah has his own two answers to explain the view of the Rambam. And they're both very interesting. The first approach of the Kesef Mishnah is that the Rambam believes Kasher Asa is limited only to death penalty cases. Only there the Torah said that if the innocent person was already killed, the witnesses don't get punished, not in the case of Malkus or Mamon, because since these witnesses caused an innocent person to be killed, that is such a heinous crime that they don't deserve to be killed and to get some atonement and repentance for what they did. So the Torah doesn't want to help these guys out by giving them the death penalty and then they're atoned. The Torah wants them to suffer for this terrible sin. So that's why they don't get the death penalty. But that doesn't apply to Malkus and Mamon, even though they falsely convicted someone, but those are lesser punishments. So like anytime someone does something wrong, they get punished. So that's why the Torah did give the punishment of Malkus and Mamon, even in a case of Kasher Asa, when the victim had to pay or got the lashes. So that's the first explanation of the Kesef Mishnah. The question would be though that anytime someone kills someone they do the same heinous crime of taking an innocent life and still the Torah gives them the death penalty. Then the Kesef Mishnah gives a second answer which is even more fascinating. He says that since the presence of Hashem is in a court so the fact that this innocent person got the death penalty at the hands of this court must mean that they were not so innocent. Because Hashem would not have allowed the court to actually execute an innocent person. So if the person got executed, it means that this was part of Hashem's plan. He wanted this to happen. The person deserved it for some other reason. So even though these witnesses testified falsely, they don't get the death penalty because obviously Hashem agreed with what they did. As opposed to Malkus and Mamon, which are less severe. So even though that happened falsely, there's no proof that Hashem wants it to happen. So there the witnesses do get the punishment even though the person already got the Malkus or had to pay. So those are the Kesef Mishnah's two solutions to this. Now, the reason Rab Chaim does not like the Kesef Mishnah's explanations, he explains at the beginning of this piece because he reads in the language of the Rambam that he believes that the exemption of Kasher Asa does theoretically apply in a case of Mamon. It's just for a technical reason that it doesn't apply because since they could return the money, so it's not considered kasher asa. But theoretically, kasher asa does apply to mamon. Now, according to the Kesef Mishnah, that cannot be because both approaches of the Kesef Mishnah differentiate between Misa versus Malkus and Mamon, whereas Rab Chaim is trying to differentiate between Misa and Mamon versus Malkus. So that's why Rab Chaim does not go with the Kesef Mishnah.
Mishnah's approach in the Rambam because he reads in the Rambam that he understands like Tosfos that really Kasher Zamam does apply to Mamon as opposed to the Kasef Mishnah who understands that there's a more fundamental debate between the Rambam and Tosfos why Kasher Asad does not apply to Mamon. According to Tosfos it's because of technicalities either because of Onshin Min Hadin or because you could return the money whereas according to the Rambam the whole Halacha of Kasher Asa is only limited to Misa. It does not apply to Malkus or Mamon.